0: Now, let's get to Zechariah and Malachi. We've come to the end of the Minor Prophets, and for some of you, it's not soon enough because you were getting tired of how it just kept hitting the same old points, it seems. Why so many? Well, one of the reasons was that they were getting their story down. They saw things weren't going well, and therefore they were gathering all of their the Genesis Exodus Leviticus you know all of that they're getting it they're editing it they're putting it together They're forming the Chronicles to retell the story of the Kings and Samuel They were putting all of that together, but the people that were doing it were writing and you had the minor prophets That's all in that same time So we have a lot of literature and then we have nothing nothing for 400 years Now, there were some things written, and I I put that in the e-blast this week, so you could read about that, but none of them rose to the level of Scripture. So what happened? Let me tell you a story. By the way, this might be a preacher story. It might not have ever happened, but it's a good story, so I'm going to tell it. The story is told of a man that studied eagles. He was an ornithologist. He studied eagles, and he wanted to understand the the. I'm trying to find another word for fecundity um, for the um, for how many eggs they laid how's that so what he would he would have to rappel down off of cliffs to check nest not always a safe thing to do because of eagles but he went down one and it was the cliff came way out and the nest was built back so he had to swing to get to the ledge he got to the ledge started to count the eggs, but he didn't belay his rope properly and it swung away. He turned and as soon as the rope came first time, he jumped and grabbed it. One of his friends looked and said, I thought you would time it a couple of times to make sure you timed your jump right. And his response was, it will never be closer to me than on the first swing. We never know god's timing but if we're always waiting for the perfect time we'll never jump and we'll miss it and all of these minor prophets are all saying turn to god turn to god turn to god and they keep thinking well we're getting there you know we're doing a little bit of work on the temple we fix some walls up here and there and we're getting there and the rope swings too far away what happens when you miss your last chance Old time preachers used to whip that up a lot, didn't they? Oh, they come now at the end of the sermon, it's the big sales pitch, and we're going to sing just as I am for the next two and a half hours until somebody comes forward. <laughs> I can remember once I was on a date with a girl and she, we had to go to church first before we went off on the date um, and the, it was never going to end. The preacher kept saying, we're going to sing again. I just know there's somebody out there. And I was, I was thinking about going forward. I really was. I, 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 I was thinking my chance with, you know, I, I, the rope is never going to be closer. Uh, so, somebody eventually beat me there. And he, he said that, that we were praying for an unspoken need, which I, I imagine that meant one of his family members got down and said, stop it. Um, but we used to really do that pitch. And preachers used to scare you to death, didn't they? about Jesus could come back before the sermon's over. And I'm thinking, when I was a boy, I was even thinking, Well, by the way you're preaching, the odds are pretty good because you're not stopping. But I, as a little boy, I can remember making a promise to myself that if ever I had a chance to speak to a church, I wouldn't scare little boys. What happened to the invitation? People say, why don't we do that? Or is that a lack of faithfulness? No. You know, in most countries, it's considered An insult. Because, as in Scotland, for example, the American evangelists will come over and they'll push for that you know, at the end. And a Scotsman will look at you and say, Well, why do you think I'm the kind of person that would make a life changing decision based upon 30 minutes? I, we need to talk about this more. Why don't we push so hard? I think sometimes it's because the culture has moved on. Uh, we're not 1920s anymore but we also remember, realize something else, and that is all through the week that rope is swinging. We need to jump when it jumps. I believe that with most ministers, this would be true. The vast majority of baptisms we do are during the week because they're ready then. That's when they come. Haggai wrote to the people, talked about that last week, saying, build the temple. Zechariah writes to them, that's this week, two months after Haggai, encouraging them keep building it but they were thinking oh there's nothing it we're building a temple we're gathering our literature but there's not much going on I mean what's the point to this and please you've wondered you've wondered what's the point you prayed and sometimes it doesn't come about the way you want or uh, your young parent Oh, you young parents you're my heroes because you come to church to wrestle it doesn't yeah, you know, Mark's up here and he's talking about standing and sitting like you have any control over what happens to your body through the whole thing. My wife spent years taking one of our kids out. I won't mention which one, <coughs> Cara. Um, <laughs> Duncan wasn't much better uh, because why? They were kids. It, it's a wrestling match, I get that. And sometimes you've got to wonder what's the point of getting all of this done. Oh, I get that. Zechariah writes saying, even though you think it's all for nothing, something's happening in the heavenlies. It matters. Even Mother Teresa had doubts and wrote of her doubts and spoke of her doubts. Young mothers wonder if they're wasting their lives and their college degrees, and I get that. But remember Ecclesiastes, it taught us that just doing the mundane, everyday work out of the love of God matters to God that you've offered it to him work with the eyes of faith Zechariah says not trying to find fulfillment in what you see but fulfillment in who you're doing the work for you're doing it for God you're doing it for him and so all through Zechariah he assures them that he's still at work even though they don't see him we all know the passage of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. And that is what the ancients were commended for. Well, these are some of the ancients. In a series of visions, Zechariah tries to show the people that God's present. God's still willing to work. And if you read through the book, you might have gotten confused because it's very poetic and the like, but it breaks down this way his army waits. God's army is waiting for our our participation. Will we show up? Chapter one, verses seven and forward. Also from uh, chapter one, starting at verse 18 through 21, he's, he's ready to fight when you are. He's waiting for us to jump at the rope. The city that you're building is protected, chapter two. Chapter 3, God's cleansed you from your past. Don't come to God and say, my past disqualifies me from the present work. We all have one of those past. We really do. You might be thinking, oh no, I was, you know, drug addict and all this other on the street and the like. Yeah, your sins are on the outside. Ours were on the inside, still sin. God says, I've cleansed you from your past. Don't let that hold you back. Chapter 4, God's resources are at your disposal. You see, that's one of our problems, isn't it? We think of God's resources as being our bank account and our attendance and our average age. Or you No, know, God's resources are a lot bigger than this. And he says, they're available. Just let me know. God's work in Chapter 5 of cleaning up evil, he's doing it now. We just don't see it sometimes. In chapter 6, he's waiting, waiting, waiting for us. Frank Peretti, years ago, back in the 80s, wrote a couple of books, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness, about prayer and spiritual warfare. And he used this meme quite a bit about God is ready. We're just waiting for the prayers. He called it prayer cover, like in military terms, artillery cover or the like, prayer cover. When we get enough prayers, the angels will be turned loose. The rope swings. Are we ready? There's an illustration of spiritual warfare in Zechariah that I love in chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. Then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, look up and see what is appearing. By the way, that's a great line just to remember. I asked, what is it? He replied, it's a basket. And he added, this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. Then the cover of lead was raised, and there in the basket sat a woman. He said, this is wickedness. He's not saying women are wicked. This is an illustration. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed its lead cover down on it. Then I looked up, and there before me were two women, these are the good ones, with wind in their wings. They had wings like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Where are they taking the basket, I asked the angel who was speaking to me. He replied, to the country of Babylonia to build a house for it. When the house is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. Its place. When people want evil, God says, then I'll move the evil there. Do you remember when Judas died? The scripture says he went to his own place. That's what he would built. That's what he was ready for. That's where he went. Then I give you chills. We want to go to a different place. The Bible says, put your treasures in heaven. Judas didn't do that. He went where he belonged. God's lifting up evil, and he'll put it where it belongs. And I wonder how many chances we get with the rope. We've seen in our own country recently videos, and there are more coming, about dismembered babies being laughed about and sold. How many times do we get a jump at the rope to get evil out And away from us and on and on and how many chances do we get to jump at the rope and join in with God by the way that Zechariah 5 passage just remember it the next time a preacher tells you every angel in the Bible that's mentioned what it is it's a man and angels don't have wings in Scripture well these angels are women and have wings there you go I had one guy said well it doesn't specifically say they're angels all right we had two flying women Call them what you want. I would call them (laughs) ma'am. All the way through, Zechariah, he keeps this same thing. Return to me. Return to me. Another way to put it is, jump at the rope. This is your chance. Jump at the rope. Do it now. Well, they don't. And that was their last chance. So now comes Malachi. Malachi. Malachi chapter one, verses six through eight, a son honors his father, a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? Is you priests who show contempt for my name? But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, what's going on? All right, here we go. Have you ever been to St. Paul's in London or to Notre Dame in, in Paris? If you have, there are little signs off to the side. Kind of sad signs. Because it will warn the tourists in several different languages, beware of pickpockets. Beware of thieves. In the building, in the church. Why? Well, that's because that's where the money is. That's where the tourists come. And so the thieves get in there as well. And as sad as it is to talk about somebody who would steal in church, it's even worse to have somebody who would steal a church. And the priest had stolen the church. Now, all it was was a secular social type of hey we're jews so we go here that's it and the people's sacrifices were awful they were bringing disease stuff and the leftovers and the priests were accepting them now the priests grumbled the whole time but they still accepted them so let's review people have been taken into captivity but now through the kindness of god they've been returned build the temple get it right this time the rope has swung and given you a chance Ezra comes to build the temple. Nehemiah comes at least twice to build the walls. God keeps throwing that rope at them. But the problem was this, just to come to the the payoff here. The people had returned, but their hearts were still pagan. They showed up to church, but their affections were still to the world. They showed up for the sacrifices, but they didn't give their best. The world got the best. It's kind of like, think about this. Let's say you're going on a first date. You go to a nice restaurant. You sit down. And the person aside, across from you, you want to get to know them. And they pull out their phone. Start playing on it. How's that work? Is that good? You know, unless they're texting you, which could happen. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of an insult. It really is. Or what if you're laying in a hospital injured, got a bad disease, whatever, and uh, the minister comes to see you, and the whole time he's talking to you, he's also checking his phone. How's that work for you? God says, you don't come to me with all your heart. You come to me with your attention elsewhere. You give your best attention the best you've got to other people. So Malachi starts his, his lesson by saying, God still loves you. They didn't believe it. They questioned that love because they felt like if God loved them, their life would be a lot better. He said, no, wait, I returned you. I protected you. Your enemies have been driven away. You've got your, your city back. Well, that wasn't enough for them. So the people brought terrible offerings and the priest accepted them, and then the priest complained about the members of the church. You might not know this, because I know that members sometimes complain about ministers. Did you know ministers complain about members too? They do. Not me, ever. But <laughs> I've been to preacher's meetings. I've heard them. I don't know, go normally because I don't really fit in, but there you, you know, I'll go. Sometimes we'll say, you know, you want us to take over the world, God, and this is who you gave us? Yeah. The priests were complaining. God warns the priest and the people that what kind of gifts they bring to God indicates what kind of God he is. Take a look at this in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations says the lord almighty cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the lord for i'm a great king says the lord almighty and my name is to be feared among the nations says i'm going to be honored if not by you i'll move on and find somebody else what a chilling thing what they didn't get was that they'd heard this. They'd heard it from Zechariah. They'd heard it from Zechariah. They'd heard it from Haggai. They'd heard it. Just like some of you reading the Minor Prophets, you're thinking, haven't we heard this before? What they didn't realize was that this was the last time the rope's going to swing for a long, long time. They always thought they had another chance. Always thought they had another chance. Have you ever heard of somebody who worked hard all their life, saved money all their life, uh, and after retirement, they planned to travel with their wife or husband around the world, and after retirement, they died and never happened. One of the things that Cammie and I decided to do a long time ago was take advantage now, see things now, go do things now, love on each other now, because you never know. You never know. Uh, And it's... It's something I would advise to all of you because frankly, I've been a minister for a long time and I've buried a lot of people at the end of December who died with unopened presents. They died at the time of year. The presents were under the tree but they didn't survive to get them. God says, open the presents, live your life, do it now, move now. Not the crazy, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we may die. No, no, no. Live your life for God now. Enjoy what God has done for you now. Tell others about God now. In chapter 2, God tells the priests that they've had their chance. That's the ministers. They've had their chance. In fact, the sins they've done will be rubbed in their faces. Look at chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he's the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth but you've turned away from the you've turned from the way and by your teaching by your teaching have caused many to stumble you have violated the covenant with Levi says the Lord Almighty i would remind you that in the new testament age now we're all priests And people are seeking to hear from us instruction from God, even if they don't know it. We've had neighbors before. We had neighbors up in Michigan that wouldn't go to church with us, had no interest to go in church with us. But after a few years, we're very interested in why Cammie and I got along so well. And ended up, we had Monday church in our house every Monday night because neighbors came. They wanted to hear more. You can just speak to people in love and eventually they start following you home. God says, you're a priest. Go to work. In fact, in Malachi, he then turns after this passage to the people as a whole and what he sees makes him decide to go silent. The rope will not swing again. They've been unfaithful to each other. Chapter 2 and verse 10. I want you to remember this. If you are unfaithful to your husband or your wife, you are being unfaithful to God's daughter or God's son, and you are going to have to face him. Think about that. If you mistreat and mislead another man or another woman, you are misleading God's son or God's daughter. You're going to have to face him. In a business deal, if you cheat somebody, or if you get the best, or, or you put in a fake insurance claim or whatever it is, you're doing that to God's son, to God's daughter. You, that's not acceptable. If you insult on the internet, and you, throw, you decide to troll them and show them who's boss, you're doing that to God's son, God's daughter. Unfaithfulness to, to God in these matters is so serious that in chapter 2, he says, I will not accept your worship anymore because of the way you're treating your wives. There's a, there's a weird expression, and, and NIV, I think, just basically gives up and doesn't even try. The, some of the other versions will say, "You cover yourself with violence like a cloak." Well, it means yes, your society is too violent. But it specifically means rabbis will tell you, to cover yourself with a cloak means domestic violence. You've beat, you've hit your wife." And again, you may think, well, how do they get that? Language works in different ways in different languages. And every rabbi I've talked to has said that. That refers to domestic violence. God goes, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be here anymore. And he speaks against what makes him angry. And one of them is whiners and complainers and those who find fault. Now, it's very important to understand, if you've read your Old Testament along with us, what is the one thing that made God more angry than anything else other than the worship of false gods? complainers if you look for fault you'll find it you will even Stevie Ray Vaughn missed a note every now and then I'm told there are so many of them you you can find fault you can find fault anywhere that's not a gift of God look in all the skill set lists that God likes and you won't find that look in all the gifts that God gives from the kingdom of heaven he won't find that your job's not to find fault. And God gets very upset when people do that. So he says, I'm coming with fire. There'll be a refining fire that's going to burn all the dross away. And the people are the dross. By the way, the scripture says in chapter 2, the, people, the priest and the people will be put on trial by God They don't know it, but 400 years later, a rope's going to swing back called John the Baptist, and they've got a chance. And what does he do? He puts them on trial. He says, You are snakes and sons of snakes. And he starts from there. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, look what he says Will a mere mortal rob God, but yet you rob me? But you ask, How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. God has a claim on what we make. He has a claim on the time. He has a claim on our talents. He has a claim on our situation. All of those are a rope swing, it's it's a swing of the rope. You've got a chance here. As I drove back down from Ohio, I had to stop and get petrol at gas every so often. I'm learning. Somewhere my, my grandparents are crying. I had somebody say, if my grandfather was alive today, he'd be spinning in his grave. And I'm thinking, well, if he's alive, don't put him in one. But uh, anyway. Anyway. I would stop. And every time I stop at one of those and I'm, I'm just going to, to, to buy a drink or something, I remember this is my only chance to show any kindness to this person. I'll never see him again. This rope will never swing this way again. During the day, I don't know how many times I think of the rope as swung. This, is your, this may be your last chance to jump at that rope, to give it a chance, to give something away, to be kind to somebody else, to mention Jesus, to somehow show love. This may be my last chance. We've got to remember the message of Malachi. But as he leaves, he promises a return. Chapter 3. And on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I'll come back one day. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. One day you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Oh, that we would learn that now. Between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming, it'll burn like a furnace all the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you'll go out and frolic all like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and turn the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And just like that, he goes quiet. God doesn't quit being God. There's still the Maccabees. There are still heroes that he raises up, but he's not sending prophets anymore. Not for 400 years. They got tired of the minor prophets, too. They got tired of you keep saying this is our last chance and then it was. For 400 years. And then a rope swings back. John the Baptist, the new Elijah, comes. And look what he has to say in Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, what's the first word out of his mouth? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt about his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, just like Malachi, fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The fire is coming. It's best to choose your side before the day of the Lord. It's best to jump now when the rope is closest. Some of you saw the people standing along the side saying the prayers. Mark, I'm going to call you up here. Go talk to them about baptism. Talk to them about what it means to be a Christian. Talk to them about your tithes, your, your gifts to God in whatever way you, you give it. Talk about how to be involved in ministry. Do not wait because everybody gets a last chance, but you never know it's your last chance. That's the way it works. It's not emotional. Not, I'm not trying to scare anybody. That's life. and That's the way God works. Some of you at the Lord's table remarked on the prayer, so let's say that prayer together. Let's all stand. O God, Lord of creation, we invoke you. You are our gracious counselor. Do not turn your face against us, for you are our judge and our benefactor. You are our king, you are our law yours is our flesh our body we love you blessed christ for our souls are yours today and forever let us live to reveal you o king may we live all our days in your royal dwelling may we eat the feast from your table do not leave us behind o god but let us move when your spirit moves and stay when he stays thanks be to god Into your hands, Lord, we place our lives, for you have redeemed us, Lord God of truth. And the whole church says, amen. Amen.